0: Hi everyone, it's V.P. Morris, and I want to welcome you to the conclusion of the Dead Letters podcast. Before we start, I wanted to thank everyone who has listened, shared it with friends, and left positive reviews and sent me words of encouragement. Also, thank you for bearing with me as I'm not a voice actor, I'm just a writer who wanted to tell this story. This conclusion may be short, but it has been a long time in the making, The chaotic events of 2020, including the birth of my son, delayed me in reaching the end of the story as quickly as I wanted to, but I'm glad I still get to share it with you all. If you like my writing style, you can purchase my debut novel, Shadowcast. It is a dark thriller following out-of-work investigative journalist, Dakota Kilroy, as she launches a true crime podcast to look into the disappearance of her best friend from high school. But little does she know, someone sinister is listening in and messing with the investigation. You can get your copy in print on Amazon, Barnes & Noble's, and through my publisher Black Rose Writing. You can also get it as an ebook via Amazon Kindle. There is more information linked in the show's description. If you need a refresher on the story, all 11 episodes are still up and available for listening. Now, without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, where was I? Right. I was at the asylum, and I saw Charlotte for the first time in one of the most bizarre circumstances. Charlotte, is that you? Who else? She stared at me with intensity, her eyes whirling as if inside of each iris was a miniature tornado pulling me in. I took a step forward into the parlor to join her. But as I inched further into the space, the pristine floor rotted beneath my feet. The walls of the room peeled and the chairs to my right collapsed into a pile of wooden bones, but Charlotte remained in her section of the parlor, clean and fresh. Just then, a woman in a simple dress and long white apron walked by. Everything all right, Miss Bouvier? Yes, I'm quite all right. The woman, who was clearly a nurse, gave Charlotte a pitying look and continued on her way throughout the room. By the time she crossed in front of me, she disappeared. This is what happens when two timelines overlap. Don't worry, she can't see you. She doesn't have our ability. She just thinks I'm talking to myself again. Charlotte let out a piercing laugh. I stared at her dumbfounded. Does this mean I can see you, the real you, and this hospital and that nurse as if I was there in 1875? Yes, you, me, and a few lucky other individuals can do this. "'Well, no offense, my dear, I'm doing most of this myself. I'm afraid you aren't as practiced as I am, and Lord knows I have had quite a bit of free time to practice.' Charlotte laughs again. "'Come closer, dear. I want to see if I can touch you.' I looked into her eyes and felt a tugging sensation around my body. I walked towards her chair as if on autopilot. Her hand reached out and touched me, but her arms were translucent, like she existed only on a film projector. She seemed disappointed.' The look on her face was grave, but I couldn't look away. It felt like there was more of her in the room than me. And more of her inside of my own head than me. Suddenly I had a migraine. The worst headache I'd ever had. It paralyzed me. I fell to the floor, unable to move. This must be the end of me, I thought. I'm having a seizure or an aneurysm all alone in an abandoned building. Who will get me out of here? I will, of course. I looked up at her chair, but it was gone, smashed and in heaps like the rest of the furniture. 1875 had melted away, and I was back in the cold reality of my present day. Where are you? Inside of you. My body scooped itself off the floor and stood upright, but it wasn't me doing this. My apologies for the intrusion, but there is simply no other option. What are you doing? I'm getting out of this horrible hospital once and for all. I realized Charlotte was speaking to me through my mouth, moving my arms and legs without my control or permission. I existed only in my mind as a series of thoughts, but I had no agency anymore. Charlotte walked my body down the stairs, clumsily at first, but by the time she reached the ground level, she was wearing my skin like a finely tailored suit. "'Where are you taking me?' I asked her, but received no reply. Charlotte stood in my body outside in the cold, crisp air. She took in a deep breath and sighed with relief. "'Oh, looks like we've got company.' Charlotte moved me up against the side of the building and advanced at a snail's pace to peer around the edge. The man in the red tie was standing there, looking up at the building, clearly trying to get the courage to enter such a creepy place." I can't believe he's afraid of that building, trust me. This place is far less dangerous in its dilapidated state than it was when I was there." The man noticed his shoelace on his boot had come undone. He leaned over to tie it. Charlotte took the opportunity to rush forth, grab a loose brick from the ground, and come up behind him. And with no hesitation, she brought the brick down in rapid succession over his head. She lifted the brick back up, and it was dripping with blood. Took less effort than I thought. You are in much better condition than I was at your age. That's what they get for letting women exercise, I guess. How could you do that? You just killed a man while using my body to do it. He was going to hurt you. He was going to hurt us. Still, he is a human being. Couldn't we have just run away? I'm in good shape, like you said. I've gotten away once before. I'm sure I can do it again. We could just make it back to my cabin and call the police. I didn't end up in this asylum because I talk to myself and see things others can't. I'm here because I killed a man. And now that I'm out, I will kill anyone else that gets in my way. Understand? Yes. Charlotte walked us over to the edge of the island where a thick sheet of ice had met with the shore. She took the brick and dropped it on the ice. It made a hole and cracked the area around it. You can't walk on that now. I'm not going to walk on it. I have a plan. Just be quiet, please. Charlotte grabbed the man by his feet and dragged him onto the shore. She leaned over and pulled a few pieces of ice out of the way to enlarge the hole the brick left. I could feel the cold on my hands. I wanted to stop as my fingers were burning and tingling, but she would not let me. She lowered the man's body into the frigid water. She took a loose branch on the ground and pushed down the man's chest until he was completely underwater and hidden by the sheets of ice. Charlotte used my breath to warm my hands as she watched the water. The corpse didn't reappear. These waters around here stay frozen until early April. By that time, he will be so waterlogged I doubt anyone will recognize him, if he's found at all. Charlotte stood us up and walked over to the opposite side of the island, the one that faced away from the shoreline with the cabins, and only a vast wilderness of snow-capped evergreens looked back at us, the two women who shared one body. I want to explain it to you. I want you to understand it all. Everything I've been through, everything I've seen. And then, if you agree to it, I'll let you go. Agree to what? I'll tell you once you know everything. But now, I just need you to see it. And with us together, I know we can do it. Do what? Open the windows, all of the windows, to the lives of the other women who received my letters. Okay, I agreed. There was no use in fighting her anyway. And with our combined clairvoyant, we opened the windows. All at once I saw them, all of the women who came before me and who had been touched by the dead letters. There was Lucy, a phony psychic in 1920, She used stolen radium from a paint shop to create what her clients believed to be as proof of spiritual activity in the room, ectoplasm. I saw her in a dark veil with a Ouija board and a glowing substance illuminating the room. Soon after, she gets a letter. She was on the verge of giving herself severe radiation poisoning from this fake ectoplasm, but Charlotte's letters scolded her into stopping, and she lived for many more years. Enough years to help out Camille, an abused and neglected housewife living in an aluminum trailer in 1953. I see her too, scrubbing pots and pans in a sink with a purple bruise swelling on one eye. Charlotte's letters not only saved her from a vicious attack from her husband, but helped her create a cleaning solution she was able to sell for big bucks. Charlotte saved Camille too, and she lived on to help June, a black teenage girl in the Bronx in 1970. Desperate to escape her difficult home life and the chaos of New York City at the time, she ran away to live on a hippie commune, as many young people did in the late 60s and 70s. But Charlotte's letters encouraged her to leave before the leader. A man who took her as one of his many wives blew up the compound as he began to lose control over his flock. Thankfully, she was able to move in with her cousin, a successful jazz singer in California, But because they both passed unexpectedly in a car accident in the 80s, June was not able to deliver the letter safely to Heather. Yet, all knowing Charlotte somehow knew Heather's parents would be at that estate sale and buy the box containing the letters. I saw Heather as a young girl. Her and her brother are about to go surf even though the letters warned against it. And there they were, surrounded by large orange jellyfish. I could feel the stinging on my skin and the panic boiling in my blood. It was like I was there, with her, experiencing it too. This was too much for me to bear. Please, release me. Please, I begged her. I couldn't see what was around me. A Charlotte was still in control of my vision, but I knew a lot of time had passed as I received these visions. From what I could take in, the sun was now going down. The world around me was growing dark and cold. My hands, feet, and face were freezing, and my body was locked in place by her. I wanted to shiver, but her possession of me was so great that even my body's basic systems couldn't rebel against her. I understand now, I do. I see how important your work was. Please, let me go now. Not yet, there's one more story that hasn't been told. Whose? Mine, haven't you wondered who I am? Of course, I just figured you didn't want anyone to know. I want you to know. I was born outside of New York City on a fine estate. We were wealthy. Insanely wealthy. My father's family were French noblemen who fled the country just before the revolution was picking up. A hundred years later, through many sly business deals and careful marriage arrangements, my family was able to keep it standing in high society and grow its considerable fortune. Everyone was expected to keep in line. Be shrewd and smart, only associate with those who could elevate or maintain our status, and never do anything to embarrass the family. It seemed like all of my relations had been up to the task until I came along. I had a fanciful imagination, as my father put it. I used to be filled to the brim with creativity. I was always painting, writing poetry, running wild through the grounds. My governesses couldn't handle me. The servants were afraid of me, and eventually my parents gave up on me preferring to let me loose on their property and keeping me away from the rest of the world for fear that my fits and mood swings and wild tales would be too odd for the rest of high society to take. This tolerance only lasted until my father died. To their great shame, I had become pregnant by the butler's son. My older brothers flew into a rage when they found out. They whipped poor Matthew the next morning and dismissed both him and his father from our staff. At first, I felt my heart break for them. But then, over time, I grew jealous of their freedom. It turns out a lashing and a loss of position was nothing compared to what I was about to experience. My eldest brother Timothy was never fond of me and my strangeness. He instantly made arrangements for me to spend the next several months in a home for unwed mothers before my condition became apparent to anyone else. But I refused to leave the one place I knew as home. So late one night before I was due to leave, I snuck into his bedroom and slit his throat. I was attempting to carry his body down the stairs in the dead of night when a maid caught me, and that's how I ended up sentenced to this asylum here. While at Woodburn, my belly grew and grew until one day a spasmy pain dropped me to the floor. Within an hour, my daughter was born. I was able to hold her once, just once before a nurse whisked her away to a good family that had been deprived of a child, but they didn't realize what would happen to me if I was deprived of my child. That night my body ached for her to be fed from me but she was gone the pain from that well there is nothing quite like it i started to use my abilities these windows into other people's lives to try to find her before my family and now these doctors all had assumed that these were the ravings of a mad woman, but i actually had an inhuman power i'm sure you noticed with your own abilities and visions they are slippery little things that are hard to pin down I spent weeks looking for my daughter. I saw babies, beautiful babies in the arms of happy mothers and fathers, but they weren't her. Alas, this was good practice for strengthening my powers, even if it didn't yield any results. The nurses would gather around me and see if I could peek into the lives of their young bows, making sure they were staying faithful or planning a marriage proposal. This also helped me grow stronger in my abilities. Over time I saw five women. I didn't understand at first what I was seeing because you all lived so far in the future and had devices so advanced and ways of speaking so foreign to me. Yet, as time went on, I saw danger coming down your paths. And you all, much like me, were too blissfully unaware to stop it. I thought if I could prevent all of you from hurting yourselves, I could at least make an impact on someone, somewhere. I would never really be a mother, so I guess I wanted to mother all of you. What right do you have to mother us? I know you wanted to help and I'm so glad you did, but you don't have the right to interfere like this. You aren't my mother after all." I felt horrible for saying that to her. She was forced to give up a child and now I was telling her she couldn't be a mother at all? I was getting to that if you would let me explain. I mentioned to you in my last letters that things were changing at the hospital. There were new doctors in charge. They were much more strict and didn't allow the nurses to send my letters to these made-up addresses, but it was more than that. They ushered in a new era of terror at the hospital. These techniques were said to mend the nerves, but they did more harm than good. We were given frequent ice baths, made to go days without food, or spend weeks in a solitary cell. One day, I couldn't stand it anymore. And I looked for an opportunity to get away. I saw a male attendant flirting with a nurse, when he really was supposed to be loading up one of the long wooden boats they used to usher supplies back and forth to the town and the island. A barrel was left empty, so I hopped inside and stowed away on the boat. When I was certain no one was around, I slid out of my hiding spot and disappeared into the woods. I took over a small cabin that had been abandoned in the mountain town nearby, and I made my living telling fortunes to the locals. The Christian population didn't like me there. They called me the Witch of Woodburn because they knew where I had come from, but were too scared to try to take me back. My fortunes were so accurate that even though they believed I was in covenants with Satan or a lunatic from an asylum, they still came to me for my clairvoyance. Living in such a way was not easy on me, and I was not in great health due to the years of mistreatment. I got sick, I believe it was consumption, but I didn't bother to go to a doctor to confirm it. As I slipped away, blood bubbling up in my lungs, I finally saw her, my daughter. She was married now, and had a little baby daughter of her own. And then like lightning, I saw that girl grow up and go on to have a family of her own. And then that girl grew up and had her own family and so on and so on until I got to you. You are my great, great, great granddaughter. That's why I feel connected to you. That's why you can see things others cannot. I was stunned. If Charlotte had not been in possession of my body already, I would have been frozen still with shock. I couldn't believe it, but it did make sense. And that's why not only do I feel like I can mother you, but why I feel you are the only person I can ask this of. Ask what? I want to live again. I know what is coming for me, and that I have no choice but to live it, but maybe, if I jump from your body to another person's, I will have the ability to escape that fate and live on in a untortured vessel. How can I do that? Just give me a body. Any other person's body, and I'll jump off of you and into someone else. They won't be as strong as you, and they won't be able to fight me off, so I will just take over their mind and body and live on that way. Torture avoided, death in the woods avoided. And if you take me to this new host, you'll have your body back. That doesn't even sound possible. Who would I even transfer you to? Charlotte turned us around. What about her? Charlotte allowed me to see from my eyes again, Across the island, there was a female police officer coming towards me. In the distance over the trees, I could see a single cop car flashing its lights against the snow-covered vastness of the woods. Miss, miss, are you alright? Charlotte kept me still, and I was unable to move or speak to the officer. She came towards me, her weapon drawn, and her face in dismay. As she got within a few feet of me, she made me speak. Please help me, there's someone bad in the asylum. Stay here, I'll go inside. The officer tried to take a step forward, but Charlotte took my arms and reached out for the woman's throat. She squeezed hard. The officer fired a shot, but missed. Her grip slipped and the weapon fell to the ground. The woman's mouth gaped open as she gulped for air. Then Charlotte propelled her spirit out of me and into the officer. I stumbled as I regained the use of my body. My hands were turning blue from being out in the cold for so long, and I could barely feel them. I watched Charlotte jerk the woman's body around as she got used to her new host. Fiona, dear, so lovely to see you. This scared me. I didn't like seeing Charlotte's whirlpooling eyes from under the skin of a stolen body. I forced my stiff legs to run, and I dashed across the island and onto the ice, ignoring its creaking and groaning. I slipped and smacked my chin on the ice. It hurt like hell, and I tasted blood, but I got up and ran anyway. I booked it all the way back to my family's cabin. I threw coal on the fireplace and warmed my bones long enough to do this. Find the tape recorder and tell the story. But then there was a knock on the door. I knew who it was. It had to be Charlotte here to gloat with her new body. She would haunt me forever, in the shell of that young officer. With a deep breath, I forced courage into my lungs and opened the door. But a dead body tumbled to its feet and onto the ground in front of me. Its hands were black and stiff. The face was twisted and contorted. I looked down and heard a faint breath and jerked myself away. I guess it wasn't a completely dead body. Fiona, it's me. It didn't work. It didn't work. As soon as I expelled her spirit from her body and took over, she began to decay, as if she had been in the grave a long time. She coughed, and I stepped back. It's inevitable now. It's my time to go back. I can't fight it anymore. There is no other choice but for me to return to my body all those years ago, and live out the painful life that waits for me. But since I can't live again in an untortured or tampered with body, I ask you to do the next best thing for me. I guess this would be a version of my dying wish. I ask you to open those windows, peer through them, and save other women's lives in a way that mine couldn't be saved. Please. I nodded. I went over to the desk and pulled out a fresh envelope and white piece of paper. I'll do it, I said. I'll keep it going. I'll continue writing the dead letters. And with that, the body went silent and still. I would never hear Charlotte's voice again. I acted quickly. I threw the young officer's body into the lake too. That would be the only explanation for the state her corpse was left in, because no one would believe the truth even if I told it to them. I tucked this tape recorder into my bag and waited for the police to come. They soon did, and they took me to the nearest station. After hours of questioning, phone calls, and long waits, I was reunited with my parents and brothers. I'm finishing this recording out here in the vast desert of Arizona. We are in witness protection as my father's associates await trial. But when the guards aren't watching, I'm able to finish up telling you what happened. I have a large envelope next to me. It didn't take long to figure out who I should send this to. So I'm sending it to you, Marco. So you have a record of everything that has happened to me. Don't come looking, at least not yet. It's too dangerous now. I'm going to mail this off as soon as I get away but it won't be the only thing I'm sending. I kept my promise. I have five letters written to five women who haven't been born yet, addressed to houses that haven't been built yet, but I know if I send them now, the recipients will be saved by the dead letters. Thank you again for listening to the Dead Letters podcast. Even though the series has concluded, it never hurts to leave a review and share it with people you think would enjoy the show. You can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at twriterepeat Repeat and on my website, vpmorris.com. I hope you've enjoyed the story. Goodbye for now.